0: Okay, we're on the uh, very top of 17b of Zion Amabet. We're in the middle of expounding a verse. Um, all right, Ain Peretz. The next part of the verse said Ain Peretz. There is no breach. Shalot, what is that referring to? Shalot to Siatenu siyatenu David. May our company not be like the company of King David. Shiyatzim imenu achitofo, because from the company of King David or the entourage of King David, came out Achitofel, who, um, who ends up uh, stabbing King David in the back. the next part of the verse says, and there is no one that goes out. may our company not be like the company of Shaul. mimenu doeg because from that company came Doeg the Edomite, who... Um, Seem to have uh, completely lost his faculties. Um, and there is no crying out. That's a reference to may our, um, may our company not be like the company of Elisha the prophet. Um, because from his company came gechazi. Gehazi was actually his assistant. Uh, his second, his, his, his right-hand man, and he was not a good, he does not turn out to be a good guy. Um, the next part of the verse is, In our streets. This is a reference to um, the, a prayer that we not have a child or a student who burns his dish in public, and um, actually, if you take a look at some of the commentaries, this would be a reference to to Jesus. All right. Um, what's interesting is in the Talmud they had to censor things. So even though there were times that they were that there were references to Jesus um, in the Talmud, they were it was it's censored in the Gemara. It's censored. So you you never actually see his name, but the commentaries will tell you that that's who's being referenced. Okay. Um, Shimu elai abir harachokim So the reason this verse is here is because we had a um, we had uh, some scholars or some uh, we had some Gemara some of the rabbis in the Gemara that were arguing earlier, and now we have another verse that is basically argued um, about by those same rabbis. So let's talk about that verse. Shimu elai abire leiv harachokim. Mitstaka, we're at the colon, about six six lines down, I think. Um, so listen to me. Um, strong-hearted ones that are far from a charity. So what is this a reference to? Rav Ushmul, Rav and Shmuel, they both give two different explanations. Ramilar Biochron R Balazar, and some say it was Rabbi and Bilazur that give two different explanations. Khadamar, one said, the entire world is um, the entire world is sustained through tzedakah, through charity, or through righteousness. V'hem um, nizone b'zroha, whereas these strong-hearted ones um, are sustained by their arms, in other words, by their own merit. V'chad okay? amar. The other explanation is, kol the entire world is sustained through their merits, the strong-hearted people's merits. So this is a... they're understanding the word strong-hearted as a reference to um, righteous people. So the entire world is sustained through their merit. Whereas the righteous people, even with their own merits, they are not uh, sustained. Just like Yehuda said in the name of Rav, because Yehuda said in the name of Rav, every day, the voice of God, comes from Mount Chorev, um, Mount um, Mount Chorev, um, and uh, says as follows. So this heavenly voice comes out from Mount Chorev, another name for Mount Sinai, and says as follows: kuloni beni. The entire world is sustained because of Chanina, my son. Khanina beni, and for Chanina, my son, It's enough for him. To have a kav's worth of caribs, may Erev Shabbos, the Erev Shabbos, from one Friday to the next, and that is an, that is that—that is all he is sustained with. So the entire world is sustained because of his merits, and he's sustained on basically nothing. Okay, so that's one way of understanding that verse, that, that the words strong hearted ones is a reference to the righteous. Now we're going to have another opinion. This this opinion argues with Ravi Huda. Ravi Huda, because Ravi Huda says, Who are the strong hearted? Gova'e Kipshae. so the, um, so Yehuda says it's the foolish, uh, Gova'e, um, which was a, which was a nation. Um, Amar Av says, Teda, dahalo igayar minai who know that, um, that they are foolish, because they never had somebody convert from, their in, from within their community. No one ever converted to Judaism from their community, so obviously they are foolish because they live right near the Jewish community and were very much exposed to the beauty of the Jewish community, yet no one ever converted. Umar of Ashi of Ashi says, The people of Masa Mechassia are the strong-hearted ones, um, again, this is used as a in a pejorative way. Because they see the preciousness or the how the they see how much people cherish the Torah two times every year. Because you have to understand, there's a concept called the Yarche Kala, which was when people from all over the country would come to study together two times during the year. So they saw how much people cherish the Torah and how cherished of an object it is. And they, they still never had a, someone convert from their community. And that's the end of that part. And now we're going to analyze the, that last part of the Mishnah we learned. So we're at the next colon, where we said, and we're quoting the part of the Mishnah, it says that if a groom wants to say the Shema on the first night, he can. Whereas Rebbe Shimon Gamliel says he shouldn't because it will come off as um, it will come off as arrogance. So now we ask: Does this mean to say that Rebbe Shimon Gamliel is uh, cares about Yuhara? Cares about people looking arrogant? And the sages don't, because the sages who say that you're allowed to say Shema. On that first night of your ma- on on the night of your marriage, they would if they're allowed to. That means that they feel that it that they don't obviously don't worry about it. You coming across as arrogant because it seems to be arrogant that you're saying, "Oh, I can still focus on the Shema. I'm so pious." So is that what we should conclude that Rishonim Leo is worried about? Uh, is worried about the possibility of giving off the appearance of being arrogant, whereas the Rabbanan don't care. The sages don't care. But didn't we hear the exact opposite? Because we learned in a Mishnah. In a place where the custom is to do work on Tisha B'Av, on the ninth day of Av, then we go and do work. In a place where the custom is not to do work on Tisha B'Av, on the ninth day of Av, then we do not do work. And Wherever it makes no difference what the custom is in all places on tishabav the Torah scholars should not be doing their work. Rabbi Shmuel says, kol adam is Rabbi says, no matter where you are, you should always make yourself. You should always, um, you should always act as if you are a Torah scholar. So it seemed to be. Let's go a little bit further. Kasha derabanan ad Rabbanan. We seem to have a question of the rabbis against the rabbis—a contradiction. We seem to have a contradiction within Rabbi Shimon Gamliel, because in this case of the of Rabbi Shimon Gamliel says you can you can act like a Torah scholar and not work. Now, if you're acting like a Torah scholar, what that that seems to be saying is is that you think that you are a Torah scholar, you're acting like a Torah scholar, you think you are a Torah scholar, and you could possibly be giving off the appearance of looking arrogant. And yet, Rebbe Shememuel doesn't seem to mind you doing so, which would seem to contradict his opinion by the Shema on the first night of marriage, where he says you shouldn't because you may give off the appearance of looking arrogant. And the sages seem to have the exact opposite contradiction. So how are we going to reconcile this? So Amr of Yochanan, Yochanan says it's a simple way to, to reconcile. Muchlefes um, Hashita. Really, the opinions are reversed in... Um, yeah, the, the opinions are reversed. And when it comes to... And um, in one of the two sources we just quoted, the opinions should be, uh, should be switched... And therefore, Rabbi um, Shmuel and the Rabbanan and the sages are consistent. Rav Shisha bar Yehuda of Eidi says, "No, don't switch around any opinions. We could still recon- reconcile the, uh, the 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 contradictions. The The contradiction between the sages is not um, is not actually a contradiction. Is not actually a question." How do we uh, reconcile it? When it comes to Shema, because everybody says Shema at night, the Ihu kari So he's also, and he's the, the, the groom is also saying Shma at night. Lo He doesn't stand out, and because he doesn't stand, because everybody else is saying Shema, and because he doesn't stand out, he's not not going to give off the appearance that he looks that he's arrogant. Whereas HaSom, is by the ninth of Av. Kib in the kuli of the malacha, being that in a place where everybody is doing work, viihu loka of it, and he doesn't do work, then mechsi ki then he gives off an arrogant appearance, and therefore should not do so. And how do we reconcile Rabbi Shimon ben Gamliel? Shimon ben Gamliel, other Shimon ben Gamliel There's no contradiction between Rabbi Shimon and Gamliel, so two opinions. Because Milsa, because when it comes to the Shema, it's dependent on concentration. And we can assume anan sadid We can assume that people are not able to concentrate on the Shema. So if he goes ahead and says and goes and says the Shema, that will come across as very arrogant because the assumption is is that people cannot concentrate on the Shema. On their wedding night, Aval Hassam, But in the case of of Haroa Omer, one who sees them, uh, one who sees somebody not doing work in a place where everybody else does work on Tisha B'Av except for the Torah scholars, they're not going to conclude that. Oh, wow! This guy thinks he's a Torah scholar and he's arrogant. Rather, they're going to conclude as follows: Malacha Hu They're just going to think that he doesn't have any work to do. He's uh, he's unemployed and there's and that's fine, and, and that's uh that is a fair conclusion because look at how many idle people there are in the marketplace. So that's how we can reconcile Rebishimigamliel, and, and that is the end of the second chapter, second parak, Allah um, Kore. And um, now we will begin the third parak, the third chapter of Brachos. Let us begin. If somebody has um, a deceased relative that is still before him, meaning has not yet been buried. So the relative is exempt from saying shma, from praying, from Shemona Esrei, from al and from putting on Tefillin. And from all the mitzvos that are stated in the Torah. Now, that's before the burial. Now, we're going to talk about at the funeral. No say Hamita, the pallbearers. V'chilufein, v'chilufei, chilufein. And those that are, would replace them and those that replace them. So, meaning they would have um, a whole bunch of lines. Like in hockey, you have lines. They would also have a whole bunch of lines for the pallbearing. Because I guess it would be uh, longer distances. Uh, so, you'd have to have, uh, you'd have to have subs. So if you're if you're a pile bearer or you're a sub or a sub for a sub so this is how it works esh hamita nehamita veshal whether you are in front of the now the, um, the mitah is a bed because basically they didn't have coffins in fact to this day in Israel they don't have coffins they just lay the corpse on some sort of like stretcher so we can call them just a stretcher so if you're in front of the stretcher so you have not carried it yet, um, or you are behind the stretcher. So you've already carried it. So this is how it works. So if you're in front of the stretcher and you you are still are going to be needed to carry it, so you do not have to say shema and you do not have to put on to fill in if you have not done the carrying yet, but you're going to be needed to those standing behind the stretcher, even if they are still needed to carry it, then they are actually obligated in the mitzvot that we just mentioned, which would be specifically the Shema and the Tefillin, whereas, mm-hmm. whether you're in front of it or behind the, the stretcher, no matter what, you are going to be exempt from saying Shmona Esrei, from the Amida. that's a little bit of a, that's a longer prayer, And whether you're before or after, the assumption would be is that your mind is elsewhere and certainly not present enough to be able to concentrate on an entire longer prayer service. Okay, now we're going to talk about on the way back from the funeral. If they buried the uh, the dead and then they returned. If they can begin and complete the Shema, before reaching the rose, so um, after the funeral, um, those that are present get into rose and the mourners pass by those people um, and are receive words of comfort. So if they can, if coming from the place of burial to the rose, they'll, they'll have enough time, it's a long enough distance that would allow them to start the Shema and finish it, then, then they should certainly begin saying the Shema. But if there's not enough time, lo then they should not even begin saying the Shema. So those that are standing in this row to offer the words of comfort. Um, so if you are standing in an inner row, then you are exempt from saying Shema. Whereas if you're standing in an outer row, then you're actually obligated to say Shema. Now we're not talking about the mourners, we're talking about the people that are uh, pres- the people that are participating in the funeral. And the idea is, is that if you're in an inner row, then you're the one that's going to be directly speaking to the mourners. Whereas if you're in an outer row, you probably won't even be speaking to them anyways. So that is, that would explain the difference between them. All right. So now we're going to talk about the first part of the Mishnah that talked about having the dead body in front of you. Mit of in, of lo the inference from the Mishnah is is that if the body is literally before them before the relative so the the, the the deceased the corpse is in front of the relative then it would seem to be that's when you are exempt. the of Lo but it would sound the inference is, is that if it's not right in front of you so you're not in the same room for instance, then you are not exempt but now we're going to ask on this Uriminhi. so we'll ask on this but maybe we'll save this question. Um, we'll save this question because it's a longer piece. We'll save this question for Monday. Alrighty, have a uh, great rest of your weekend and Shavuot Sorry, I forgot to do the, uh, the review. The review is first we went through a continued, continued analyzing and expounding the verse that we expounded last time. Then we talked about the uh, another verse, and some explained it to mean the righteous, some, the strong of heart. Some explained it means the righteous. Some explained it means those that are foolish and wicked. Um, we had an interesting discussion of the foolish people who never converted, who never had a convert from their community. Then we talked more about if the the groom being exempt from Shema and yet still saying it. We talked uh, we reconciled some contradictions, apparent contradictions, seeming contradictions. Between the sages and Ramashim and Gamliel, about putting yourself in a situation that can come across as you seeming arrogant. And um, that was the end of the second chapter of Brachos. Then we started the third chapter of Brachos with a discussion as to when, during the mourning process, are you exempt from saying shema and different mitzvahs, and when are you obligated to do so, both as the mourner and the person being, and someone that is at present at a funeral comforting the mourners. And then we'll be talking more about that in our next uh, in our next podcast. Have a great night, Shavuot.